listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In our Father's Word, there's a direct correlation between a person's spiritual maturity and their attitude and treatment of people. There's a direct correlation between a person's spiritual maturity and their attitude and treatment of people. You can tell what's happening in the secret recesses of a person's walk with God by looking at the public realm of how they treat people. You can tell what's really happening in the secret walk that an individual professes to have with God by looking at their public walk, their public interactions with people. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture, we're following Jesus as he's come down off the side of a mountain and he's stopped on a level place. And he's teaching the apostles and he's teaching the disciples and there are people within earshot who are not going to be very good students of Jesus, most likely. The Pharisees are probably there hearing the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus is in the thick of teaching us some practical words that we need to hear today. They're just as relevant, just as insightful, just as important, just as potent today as they were when Jesus first taught them. And we get a glimpse, we get a picture of what Jesus would have spent the majority of his time teaching and preaching by looking at this particular passage of Scripture. And unfortunately, I have to say that this particular passage of Scripture is one of the most often quoted and misquoted passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It's misquoted by two particular groups of people, as we're going to see in just a moment. It's misunderstood, and this is done primarily by people who are members of what I call the Nighttime Bible Reading Society. If you're a member of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society, you do this. You read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed. When you read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed, you miss things. And you misinterpret things. You end up being selective in your interpretation of Scripture. And that's always dangerous. But there are many, unfortunately, many, many members of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society all around the world. And therefore, the Word of God, the matchless, timeless, priceless Word of God is often misquoted, misinterpreted, and therefore misapplied. But if you want to be a person who's mature in your walk with Christ, if you want to really understand what it means to discover and pursue God deeply, you want the lights to go on. You want the sunglasses off. You want both eyes open. You want to read the Bible for all it's worth. And then when we turn to the Word of God here today, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37, we look at this particular passage of Scripture and we're going to allow God to give us insight so that we leave. When we're done listening, we begin applying. Verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. 
Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? If you ever wondered if Jesus had a sense of humor, this should alleviate it. Jesus did have a sense of humor. Listen to the illustration. How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. One of the most misquoted, misunderstood, often quoted passages of Scripture. Judge not and you will not be judged. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. How many times have you heard somebody say, Don't judge or you'll be judged. Uh, uh, uh. Don't get on my case. Don't get on their case. After all, Jesus said, and we all kind of shrink back, and we go, they're right, Jesus did say it. This person who doesn't even profess to know Jesus knows that Jesus said that. And I, who profess to know Jesus, yes, I, who profess to know Christ, and being quoted the Bible from someone who clearly, openly doesn't know Christ, and they're putting me to shame, and they're making me cower, and I'm falling down because they're reminding me, don't judge or you'll be judged. And what can I say? It's the words of Jesus. Jesus, save me. Is Jesus saying that we are to have no discretion in our interactions with people? Is that what Jesus is teaching us by saying, do not judge or you will be judged? Is Jesus saying that we are to throw caution and wisdom and insight to the wind and that we have absolutely no ability to speak into other people's lives? Is that what he means when he says, do not judge or you will be judged? Is that what Jesus is saying or is that interpretation one that has been propagated by and made proficient by members of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society. I suggest that it is. Because this same particular passage of Scripture that is often quoted by Jesus says this in verse 42, How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. It's not that Jesus is saying, you never have the opportunity, you never have the right, you never have the credibility or the credentials to address somebody's fault in their life. Jesus is not saying that. My goodness, by this particular passage of Scripture alone, if we read the whole thing, we understand that Jesus is not saying that. In fact, if we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, a parallel passage where Jesus is giving similar teaching. He says in verse 6 of chapter 7, Matthew's Gospel, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. We've heard it said pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot to attack you. Clearly, this same Jesus is not saying that we are not to exercise discretion, that we are not to exercise judgment in the sense of when somebody is clearly doing wrong. We're not to be stupid. We are not to exercise stupidity. Jesus is not 
a purveyor of stupidity. He's the embodiment of wisdom. In fact, the book of Proverbs teaches us very clearly that Jesus is the personification of wisdom. Wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs. And wisdom is wrapped up in Jesus. To pursue wisdom is to pursue Jesus. To pursue his teachings. To pursue intimacy with Jesus is to be a person who grows in wisdom. Clearly, Jesus is not saying that we should not have any discretion in our human interactions with other people. If anything, Jesus is saying... You must exercise discretion. Do not cast your pearls before pigs. Don't do that. Don't be, as we would say in Italian, stunad. Stupid. Be wise. See, you learned your Italian word. This is where you need to write down. Stunad. Stupid. Find three ways to use stunad today in my interactions with people. Right now, Pastor Mike is being stunned by what he's doing in the way he's describing. Listen, Jesus is not saying cast aside discretion, cast aside wisdom. He's saying do not be a hypocritical, negative, naysaying, fault finder like the Pharisees. Jesus has already made it clear. You hypocrite, you've got a piece of sawdust in your eye. This is the humor of Jesus. You've got a piece of... Sawdust in somebody's eye. Somebody's got a piece of sawdust in their eye. You've got a tree growing out of your eye. And you're so consumed and concerned with taking the speck out of somebody's eye. It's ridiculous. Take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll be in a position, spiritually mature, to take the speck, the piece of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. Jesus is saying... You should have the ability, and you do have the credibility, and you must have the spiritual maturity to be walking closely with God so that when you're walking closely with God and you've let him deal with the issues that you're facing in your own life, you will lovingly, compassionately, with mercy and grace, be able to come alongside of somebody else who does have a speck in their eye. Who does have a sin issue? And you'll be able to lovingly, compassionately, not hypocritically, but lovingly, compassionately, with the right heart, with the right attitude, as somebody who's walking with God, truly, vertically, intimately, with, intimate with God, then gaining the right to speak into people's lives horizontally. That's what Jesus is saying. Do not be a member of the nighttime Bible reading society. Read all of the scriptures. You might not be convinced in what I just said. But I'm going to convince you and I'm going to persuade you now from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Easy to find. Just look at 2 Corinthians and go backwards. You'll be right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. The Christians. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ. Embracing an immorality that even the the non-Christians would not embrace. The Corinthians were like that. Of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. For when you are all assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, the disciplinary act of God, 
so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is a Christian practicing sexual immorality and God disciplining the Christian by dealing with some type of a physical discipline on that person's body so that they're punished in a way that brings them to their senses. And if they don't come to their senses, just like the Corinthians elsewhere, some have fallen asleep, they've died. It's not a salvation issue, but it definitely is a loss of rewards issue. Paul is making that clear. You're boasting, verse 6, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Speaking of yeast, cleanse out the old leaven, sin, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, a Christian, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You know, all scripture is breathed from God. All scripture comes from God. And the same passage that Luke records here in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus is recorded as saying, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. That same passage of scripture is authoritative as it's equal footing with what we just read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul is making it abundantly clear. Jesus made it abundantly clear in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in Luke chapter 6 verse 42. That there is a time and a place in which judgment is necessary. Within the body of Christ, we should be discerning. And yes, judging Somebody who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ and sexual immorality is something that they boast about, that they brag about. Listen, we all stumble in certain ways. We all make mistakes. It's called sin. We all sin by the things we do that we shouldn't do. And we all sin by the things we don't do that we should do. If the idea was that we shouldn't ever speak into each other's lives, then I need to get off the platform and we need to close the doors of the church. The whole idea is that, yes, by preaching and teaching the Word of God, yes, in this 21st century, yes, we must must preach the full counsel of the Word of God. That's what the problem is. We have shrunk back from teaching and preaching the full counsel of the Word of God The nighttime Bible reading society is growing in leaps and bounds, and we're shrinking back. We must speak about issues in one another's lives. We just must not do it like the Pharisees do it. As hypocrites, as people who are consumed and concerned with changing everybody else while they've got logs in their own eyes. Jesus is speaking against a hypocritical, pharisaic, self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude. And it's never appropriate to approach somebody else's sin with a self-righteous, holier-than-thou Pharisaic, hypocritical attitude. It's never right. It should never be done. Whenever we approach sin in somebody else's life, we must do it with humility and brokenness. 
Mercy, as Jesus says in verse 36 of this particular passage. This is the context of what Jesus is teaching. What does mercy look like? Verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And now Jesus is unpacking that. He's helping us understand. It's not that we never speak into somebody else's life. We must. In fact, there's many times I've come across as a pastor, I've come across in talking to other pastors and church leaders, people say that they have the gift of discernment. When all it really is, is a gift of a critical spirit. If I had a dollar for every time I've met somebody or heard of somebody who has the gift of discernment in the body of Christ, and really it's a critical spirit, I could take care of this church's debt. The gift of discernment as taught in the New Testament is really to be translated the gift of distinguishing between spirits. Before the finalization of the New Testament, before the finalization of Scripture, the idea was as the church was young and being built up and growing, there were people where miraculous manifestations were happening and the people needed to know, is this from God or is it not from God? So some were given the ability to distinguish between spirits. It is not just a gift of discernment. In fact, every Christian is to have discernment. Think about this. You're growing in your walk with God. You're learning the scriptures. The scriptures are getting into you. The scriptures are coming out of you. Your life is being changed. You're an agent of change. You're not going to grow in discernment. You're not going to grow in wisdom. That's just supposed to be over here for a group of people who have a gift of discernment. The rest of us are stunad. The rest of us are just subject to, I don't know, so-and-so's got a gift of discernment. How can I really tell? You know, somebody throws that out. Well, the so-and-so has a, they have a gift of discernment. Therefore, nothing you say can be taken seriously. It's futile. You must give up. They have the gift of discernment. You're forgetting. But, but you don't understand. It doesn't seem, when I read the word, no, you must back off. They have the gift of discernment. Resistance is futile. You are nothing. You have nothing to offer. You're stunad. You're stupid. Yes, you've been a Christian longer than them. And yes, you understand very clearly that there are passages of Scripture, passages of Scripture that would explain the point that God would want us to understand. But you don't have the gift of discernment. You must bow your knee. You want to be part of a a group of believers where nobody is discerning? Everybody's stupid? We're all following the Lord and reading the scriptures and only a few select people have a gift of discernment? It's an improper translation. It's the gift of distinguishing between the spirits. Let's call it what it is. And anytime somebody says that they have the ability to do that, it must be tested with the word of God. There must be confirmation, not just subjective revelation. Just because you think it's something and I think it's something different, let's go to the word of God, let's wait on God, let's see God confirm. God is always in the process of confirming, especially in areas where we're not sure about something. What Jesus is teaching here is that we must be discerning. We are to exercise judgment as defined by discernment. In our interactions with people. Otherwise we will be stunned. Otherwise we will be blown about and tossed about by the wind. 
Jesus is warning again, in a different way, from a different angle, against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Don't be so concerned and consumed about changing somebody else's life. Remember that in your marriage when you want your spouse to change. Ask Jesus to change you. And guess what? Miraculously, your spouse will change. Or at least your attitude, your treatment of your spouse, your ability to handle what's not changing in your spouse will go to the whole next place. Remember that as you're asking God to change your workplace, to change your environment. God might want to change you as the catalyst of change in the midst of that environment. God might want to change you. Remember, God's not just interested in doing a work in other people. He is first and foremost interested in doing a work in you. He's interested in doing a work in me. God is in the business of changing us, transforming us so that wherever we go, we are the aroma of Christ. Wherever we go, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God. The Word of God is in us, overflowing out of us, and we become agents of change. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.